Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. People's perceptions of Wes Anderson, I know we just started recording, is that like everybody talks about how twee and cutesy his movies are. Nobody talks about the fact that they're the saddest fucking movies ever made. That like every single one of his movies is deeply, deeply sad. And about every... deeply sad people who are just trying to sort of understand themselves in a world that they feel alienated from. Um, and I love right. those every... movies. Yeah, uh, no, those are, I, I love feeling that stuff. It feels great in a bad way. No, every That's one right. of these movies has, has like that one scene or even that one shot that just really kind of breaks you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm just like going through the Rolodex of them in my head. I think about um, like, uh, Moonrise Kingdom, the scene where the two parents are just in bed and they're lying yep. there and, and they just say like, Hey, we don't know how we're going to give our kids a good future. We're not doing enough. And then she's just like, it's not enough. And he's like, I know. And that's it. And then it just moves on to the next scene. And it's like, and then, uh, <laughs> and then the most bizarre needle drop in any of his movies, stay together for the kids by blink One Eighty Two, just starts blaring and it gets louder and louder. They make it seem like it's diegetic that. that is that playing seems, from a vinyl. Uh, that would be hilarious. Yeah, rules. You're in your first blink One Eighty Two rule. Actually, have you listened to any other new music since time to long came back? <laughs> God, no. Has anybody? No. I don't think anybody has. <laughs> it, it, like the video has millions and millions of views on two, on YouTube. I have no idea if that's yeah, an indicator of success, but people are still it's interested. Fake news. Ah, bots. It's AI, uh, artificial. Maybe maybe I'll uh, light up a joint and listen to Ooh. to that oh. sometime. I, I kind of like how it's like our review of this Richard Linklater's arguably most beloved movie is. Uh, boy, I like Wes Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> boy, I like uh, Wes Anderson. I, I I I like sparking up with my friends in front of a microphone on. Hey. Trial. Love. Thank you so much for listening. It's a literal roundtable wow. podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trial and Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trial of Podcast. You can find the Trial on at Trial and Cinema and at trialon.org. Uh, give us a follow uh, on Twitter at Trial of Podcast. Give me a follow. No, wait, 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 wait. I, I'm hit sorry. It. Yeah, hit it, hit it again uh, because I do have a line that I do want to say and I've left it all behind. Guys, I'm take it easy. Here. I have, I have so, yeah, <laughs> slow take, ride. Take, that would be so. Would be, okay. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you so much for listening to Trial of It's a little on to a podcast. Find us on Twitter, Trial of Podcast. Find the Trial on the Trial on Cinema and at trialon.org. Everybody in this Zencaster call needs some good old worthwhile visceral experience. And you can find me, I'm Jason, on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Wake up, bitch. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm Harry Mackin. You can find me on at punished take or punished take however you like uh and i'm just trying to be honest about being a misanthrope there you go uh you can check out movies at the trilon by going to trilon.org uh the film that we're talking about today was playing as part of the all hail parker posey series at the trilon that is now uh, ended with this film so check out the trilon for more fun series including they're playing some shaft movies they've got um all excuse me uh peter o'toole series in july um hideo gosha wandering ronin is in august eve montand is going to be in august as well check it out uh, some cool stuff coming up later this year and uh support them any way you can it's a cool place um for right now we're gonna have to 
dive into a summary uh, that Aaron would normally be giving us, but I have licensed it from uh, AG Enterprises Incorporated. I'm here. I am to give the uh, licensed, um, officially sanctioned, but licensed patent here, Aaron Grossman summary. Uh, Dazed and Confused is the film we're talking about today. Uh, actually, I have to start with, yes, Dazed and Confused, uh, because Aaron always starts his with a yes. Get <laughs> his ass, dude. 19, I added, it's so many of these Again, things. he's never going to listen to this, but yeah. Yes, Dazed and Confused is a 1993 comedy film direct, written and directed by Richard Linklater, starring Jason London, Matthew McConaughey, Mila Jovovich, Adam Goldberg, Wiley Wiggins, Ben Affleck, and of course, Parker Posey. Did I say Wiley? Is it Willie? Wiley? No, sorry. I'm, I'm laughing on the idea of Mila Jovovich being third build in any sort of summary yeah. of this movie, uh, I, I which don't think maybe we'll get into it. But She has any so. lines that are not sung. I think yeah. she sings she two is, lyrics. She's literally on the theatrical release poster, which is the funniest shit in the world. Um, yeah. Anyway, the movie centers on the outgoing seniors and incoming freshmen on the last day of school at a Texas high school in 1976, following their casual exploits from drug use to school parties to flirtation to paddling and hazing, etc. Uh, one driver of the plot is Randall, quote unquote, Pink Floyd, who refuses to sign a pledge to remain drug free as long as he's on the part, excuse me, on the high school football team, which clashes clashes with his stoner lifestyle. Uh, And it also focuses on his interactions broadly with other social groups of the high school, as some find themselves at the end of their high school experience and others find theirs just beginning. Uh, Dazed and Confused earned plenty of critical success, but made only a modest return on its budget at the time of release. But it's since gained something close to a cult following and has been included on all time lists, praising its comedic, lightly dressed dramatic portraiture of teenagehood in the 1970s. Um, I've seen this movie once before. I softened on uh, my negative feelings about it the second time versus the first time, uh, but I don't want to center the whole conversation just on what I thought about it. Um, Cody, was this also your second time seeing this movie? Yeah, second or third. I, I was I was thinking about that because I know that, um, I don't know, every so often this comes along. I've maybe talked about it on the, on the podcast before, but while I was in college so like somewhat formative as far as my like experience in in movie going and trying to you know broaden broaden my cinematic horizons uh my friend pat and i got together and just like had a list of movies and we just rattled through a lot of the um like quote-unquote classics like certified classics are just like movies that were in you know that permeated uh our like immediate culture a little bit more and, and dazed and confused was was one of those so it like we we watched it together i think you know, with us seeing it for the first time in our early 20s, some of that like nostalgia that some people like some groups of people really seem to get from this movie were was sort of lost on us. Um, but I like I think we kind of came away being like, okay, like we we sort of get what I don't know, we, we get we get what people see in this, I guess, just without being able to really like 100% relate to it. And I I don't know. There are some things that I'm more forgiving about seeing it um, just literally last night, and some things that I'm a little less forgiving of I, I think seeing it so close to high school a lot of the hazing undercurrents were like very just unsettling and uncomfortable to me probably again mm. just because of my proximity to like being a high schooler and it was very weird uh, you know I'm you know I was a, a high schooler once upon a time and 35 year old looking Ben Affleck was a high schooler uh, once upon a time <laughs> and I certainly didn't look like 35 year old Ben Affleck he wasn't actually 35 but you know what I mean that that actor you know casting you know age aging them up um, you know, not super uncommon. Um, but like, I don't, I feel like there is something, uh, and just to, I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of inferring, maybe we can like square the circle here together because I don't know how like much of like, you know, like nostalgia 
we have for this movie at leading the witness here. It seems like there's not a lot of that here to be found. Um, so maybe there'll be a lot of inferring, but I do feel like there is people have a nostalgia for this, but there is almost like a, like a get out of jail free card with like loving this movie, this movie that is not, doesn't seem particularly interested with like critiquing the time in which it, it took place, which maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, you know, not a whole lot of consequences. The characters are, um, pretty shallow, you know, people seem to unironically sort of be in love with uh, Matthew McConaughey's Wooderson, which is, uh, who, or rather, who is um, the biggest creep to ever live. Uh, and then you have like Adam Goldberg's character, who's the biggest square to ever set foot on screen. Um, there's just like a, a lot of that floating around. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I, there is something nougaty in the center of this like chocolate of a movie that I, I kind of felt um, the pink's trajectory through everything and trying to navigate the, like there, there are glimmers of that, right? Like the, the generation before, you know, them, you know, pinks and you know the rest of, of this high school class, like uh, you know, adults trying to enforce arbitrary regulations uh, upon students and trying to usurp their, the generation, the, the time period in which they live. There's like something there again. The the movie doesn't seem super interested in in interrogating that, but also I recognize people want different things from different movies. They some people might just want a 102 minute movie where a lot of you know there's a, where people smoke a lot and hang out, and you know what? Totally cool. I I absolutely get it. It's just that you know, as far as hangout movies go, this is not even in the top two uh, of like Linklater's filmography alone um if, for for my money um so i don't know that's i'm just kind of putting out feelers but that's that's how days to confuse hit me uh this this time around jason yeah i i appreciate that i i think you're right to set it up as like what's what works for some people and what doesn't because you sort of see the craft at work here but it's more about how i prefer to see this movie i prefer to like it's only my second time watching it and i will say like i thought more highly of it this time even though i was seeing the same thing just in a different light I'm not interested in seeing this as like just a period piece at where I think that's pretty much it's universal acclaim comes from the idea that like these just seeing these things happen and imagining them happening in a time or remembering if you had an experience like this or maybe wanting to remember sky was uh, watching it with me and said like seems like it's a movie for other people who had this experience or wanted this experience in that's why years. I you think know? that that critical acclaim more than the movie itself is why I've never liked this movie yeah is it, because it's like wait are you saying that like the reason you like this movie is just because of like blatant like surface level nostalgia because it's like that's not to me that's not a valid reason to like right. a movie <laughs> it's same exact like the first time i watched it that's all that i was getting was like oh so this is either a thing that richard, richard linklater remembers happening or like a permutation of it or something that maybe he imagined happening realistically or feared like again it seems like a very personal experience that movie which can be appealing it just doesn't with to me for this especially when like there's a much more not that I'm like bringing a whole lot to the table. I think it's in the movie, just seeing between the lines on it. There is a, I prefer to see it kind of like how we've been watching Westerns for this podcast is like, Oh, there's an end of an era. How is like the change over? How are people reacting and sort of reckoning with that now? And it's text. Sometimes they talk about, I forget the character's name, but the girl who goes running around with uh, Adam Goldberg and the guy who looks like, I don't know, a more stony jawed Philip Seymour Hoffman. Those two, like that three, they, they talk about like servicing the future and they talk about, I got uh, Richard Dreyfus vibes from him actually, but I also good, see good, Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman. That's both, very good. Both are there. 
there. Uh, both are there. But like it, it does occasionally talk about those things. It's not about those things. You know, it's not like it doesn't really follow through on any of those things. I think it doesn't make those center stage. It doesn't like focus on them as the through line or whatever. Um, maybe I just am not the right audience. I love like generally the aesthetic of 70s shit. I love like all the costuming. It's obviously great. The, you know, scene setting, the constant needle dropping, um, all the color gradation and things that have gone into making it kind of like make things pop and make it attractive to look at. And there's scenes that in individuality can be like funny, you know, they're, uh, they got to run off of their doorstep, um, when they realize the party's not on and they just dive into the bushes and one of them squishes a plane on the way. Like there are little tiny gags and bits that do work for me. Um, I don't know if it adds up. I know for me that it doesn't add up to anything. Uh, and it just feels odd to be like, Oh, the, almost the entire, like, sphere of critical acclaim around this movie has been like there's very little drama it's just a portrait and i think that doesn't satisfy me maybe if it were like a short if it were 15 minutes long 30 minutes long but it feels like we like really start to digress into things that don't uh like connect or or, or appeal in like a whole in a holistic or like synthetic way to me i'm really getting like head ass about an incredibly low uh, ass movie like it's it's just it's just what it is you know I, no, if i can read I mean, it on its face i would be able to enjoy it a lot more i think but it's just this nagging like okay so we have these pieces these characters that are you know the outgoing seniors are torturing the young freshman girls in the exact same way that they probably were and, and yet everybody's sort of reckoning with the changes that are coming to at the end of the 70s everybody thinks the 70s suck and it's like where are we going with that we're not going anywhere with that they just get flower dumped on them and we move on and then they bug each other later i don't know if i'm not seeing what other people do or if i'm like if it's not there but um yeah it, it it's a it's a movie of ups and downs for me where i'm enjoying moments and then looking back at the picture that it's painted and thinking that's not a great picture i see all the pieces but i don't love that picture yeah i mean i actually don't think i agree that it's like a low-ass movie and to use your terms i think there's kind of a lot going on here i mean it was created in the 90s so it's it's a movie about like how the 90s thinks of the 70s um there are a lot of like textual comments right like i think maybe the the log line one of the funniest lines of the movie to me is um when the the redhead whose name i forgot too so sorry um is talking about how like it's like the every other decade theory that the 60s were radical uh the 70s obviously sucked maybe the 80s will be radical and it's like bum 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 <laughs> so like it like clearly there is an irony there like this is the 90s now like we know what the 80s were um i think this is a, maybe even a movie i would argue more about the 90s or about the 80s than it is about the 70s um maybe ironically right but um i i think that like i i do think that there's a lot going on here i just think that like I don't disagree with you either. I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about this movie because I this time around watching it, I think I gravitated toward uh, Pink's character arc and how um, he sort of embodies the spirit of everyone involved in this enterprise, um, including the, the redhead or the disparate groups. She has another great line. She's sort of like one of the more um, coherent. Yeah. Uh, Marissa Rabisi. Um, thank you, Cody. Um she she's one of the more coherent people, which means she ends up shouldering the themes quite often. But she also has this great speech where she talks about how, like, I'm just so tired of, like, thinking about the future. I'm, I'm tired of thinking of everything as a preamble for something else. That, to me, is my most generous reading of this movie, is that Pink is sort of rejecting the idea that his life doesn't matter right now, that his friends don't matter right now, that this period of history doesn't matter right now, that like just because it's all cyclical, it's all going to be washed away, rivers always reach the sea, right? Like I think that... like. 
um, reigning over this movie like an anxiety, not unlike Waiting for Guffman, the last uh, movie we talked about, is this idea that like none of this matters and they're all going to end up their parents, right? Like there's this idea that like these are the white inheritors of the earth with one exception. There's one black student. But like for the most part, these are these are white Texas students. They play football. They're going to stay in this community. They are going to be relatively successful. They're going to have kids and those kids are going to do exactly the same thing that they did, right? On and on and on. And there's this sense that like, okay, so like none of this matters then like um, my stoner friends don't matter. I don't matter. Like all that matters is, is reaching the next step. And there is this sort of quiet rebellion embodied in pink, right? That actually like, no, I want to live where I am right now. I want to do what I'm doing right now. To me, just because this is ephemeral, just because it's fading, just because it's about to be gone, doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Doesn't mean that I can't be who I am right now. Um, I think I like that. I think I appreciate it. I think the reason, the biggest reason, I guess, why this movie has never really appealed to me um, is just that, like, I had such a starkly different high school experience. And, like, not not just on a personal level, but also, like, in terms of generation, I think I learned all the opposite lessons from high school that this movie teaches about the people who went to high school, which is this idea. And, like, to the point where I kind of resent it, right? It's like, I went to high school in the mid-2000s when the Iraq War was what like raging when uh, we were all becoming aware of the true cataclysmic nature of climate change. um, When we were post nine 11 in sort of a like history high jingoistic period where there really was no counterculture because being counterculture was considered um, evil. And there was this uh, tremendous pressure to uh, root for the home team, et cetera, et cetera. And like, if this movie is all about these characters, like realizing that like rivers always reach the sea, nothing is really going to change. Like they, it's a, it's a very post sixties movie, right? This idea that like the great, the great opportunity for change, the great revolution failed. And now we are living in the sort of hauntological, there's the word. Uh, so check it off your bingo card, the hauntological future that, that wasn't right. This idea that like, well, it's kind of the end of history, right? This is kind of an end of history movie, which is what the nineties were all about. This idea that like, we have reached a state of post ideology, like communism failed. The cold war is ended. Um, the great revolution of the sixties never, like never amounted to anything. These kids are now living in a, in a post space where like things are just going to basically kind of go on the way they, they are. I think that was maybe true or seemed true to link later in the nineties. And there's something sort of um, wistful about the fact that like these kids are sort of like rubbing up against this existential ennui that like, actually like they're not going to matter. They're not going to be significant. Um, and all they have is this moment to be themselves before they sort of enter the whirlpool. Um, I learned all the opposite in high school, right? Like I was like, Oh, the world is going to come to an end when I'm an adult. And like, uh, none of this is actually sustainable. And like my teachers are my enemies. Like my, the last generation did this to me. My future has been stolen from me. (laughs) Like it sounds really dark. And like, I'm not saying that I totally understood this at the time. I'm just saying that like, that was how it felt to me. And so I kind of, you know, I kind of resent this movie to be being like, you know, the, the last, um, like, uh, the last moment that this goes out on with slow ride is sort of like, yeah, everything's going to be all right. Like, like your parents get it. The, the seniors that are good, get it. There is this sense in which like the better seniors, 
the the better people, the people you actually are going to ride with, they do have some real compassion and understanding of the cyclical nature of things. And like the arc of history is long and maybe even cyclical, but it does bend towards justice, right? Like the bad guys get their just desserts. The egotists get their just desserts. Parker Posey and uh, Ben Affleck get their just desserts, right? And like, meanwhile, the cool kids, they stay cool and like, they're going to be cool and it's going to be all right. And like, I'll, I'll never forget, like I watched Babylon, like, immediately after watching this movie which is kind of a movie with the opposite point and it really brought home how much this is like literally just about like rich white kids and how when you're rich and white nothing really matters and nothing you can do will ever actually sort of jeopardize who you're going to become um and this movie has a very ambivalent relationship i guess at most charitably with that idea um i would say it's a very fatalistic movie in some ways there is this overarching idea that like this is just how it's going to be you know, like there's nothing you can really do about it. Um, you can just sort of like have your rebellion in the moment and maybe that rebellion will be enough. Right. Uh, embodied in pink. And it just didn't feel it doesn't feel like enough for me. And I know that like that's kind of what the point is. This idea that like rebellion, teenage rebellion is sort of ineffectual, but that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Um, I just think that like maybe I'm just too much like uh, the, the point Dexter that we talked about that Cody po- talked about, but I just wanted something else. I wanted something more, you know, es- especially because like my, my identity in high school was not like this. And I, I think that like, maybe this is a movie about how this was the last generation this was true for. And maybe there's something interesting there to unpack, but I just, it doesn't totally work for me. I always think of like how legacy wise, and it, again, it's not maybe fair to project this legacy, but like, I never forget about how in the office, both Jim and Pam cite this as their favorite movie of all time. And like, to me, that suggests a whole lot, right? Because like what the office is all about is this sort of like weird, uh, like secret enforcement of normalcy where like, if you're normal enough, it means you're a good person and like weirdos kind of deserve derision. Um, and we can sort of like laugh at that, but like really like, like the Jims and Pams of the world are like the, the right people. There's like a really weird um, cultural hegemony of that show, which I think is kind of why um, it's such a big deal with uh, <laughs> normies. Um, not to, not to be too uh, high and mighty, but like, and I, I get that here too, right? Where there's just this idea that it's just like, Hey man, just be like pink. You know, don't be like Ben Affleck. Don't be like Parker Posey. Just like, just be cool. And like, everything will be all right as long as we're just like vaguely tolerant of each other because it doesn't really matter anyway. And it's like, fuck, fuck that. (laughs) I guess I like, I just kind of reject this idea that like everything's going to be okay because everything is not going to be okay. Uh, true. Wow. What a note to end on. Um, I, both of you triggered uh, a lot of, um, thoughts that I'll, I'll throw against. So I'll try to be succinct, but I think I can keep this kind of on the same through line that we've been pursuing here. Uh, first and foremost, Harry, you will not be, on Adam Goldberg's level of point Dexter, as long as you don't go out into an open field where there is an active party going on and say, "Woo, somebody sure is smoking weed out here. Uh, his character had it coming. He deserved every uh, deserved everything he got. He should have gotten beat up worse. That fucking dweeb. Uh, you can you can see who I was in high school. Yeah. Um, By the way, the, the yeah. funniest joke in this entire movie is when he is initially introduced with his um, friend, and somebody calls them Woodward and Bernstein. <laughs> That, that did fucking have me busting a gut. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, I, I guess first, and I, I don't know, laying it out uh, up top, 
it is something to bring up, especially lately with um, link letter movies. And I don't think any of us here have the authority to say anything super firm on the matter, but just like there is that glaring um, omission of like a black presence in his movies. And I don't know, again, without drawing any sort of firm conclusions, there's the fact that like speculation that, you know, link later, he probably grew up in a pretty, you know, like affluent white neighborhood of wherever it was. He grew up Austin. Um, A lot of his movies take place in, in the same sort of region in Texas. Um, and it's like, you know, at the same time he could maybe try to get, uh, some, some more black characters into his movie or like employ writers who could, who could write that sort of angle. And then on the other, other hand, it's like, but if we're entrusting, uh, Richard Linkletter to be the end all be all for like black perspectives in this like particular, particular area that like we're like that's setting up nobody for success. Um, there's, I don't know. So there, there's like a lot to kick around there. Um, one of the best characters in everybody wants some, which I'm going to try not to, to like call out too often because then it'll just be an everybody wants some podcast, um, which would not be the worst thing. Um, but one of the best characters in that film, uh, is a, is a black male. So I don't know. <laughs> Shout out to everybody wants some a better movie than this one in every single way. Um, Whoa. but yeah. Ooh, the gavel dropped. Um, no, but I, I, as far as the, the, like the potential head assery, uh, in, in play, uh, for dazed and confused, like there is, there is like something there that again, like they, they choose to not lean on so much. Like there's all this context that might be playing into this sort of movie at the same time. Like you said, Ari, it is very much like a nineties view of what the seventies were. And like some things are perhaps muddled or perhaps, made more clear by hindsight the sort of like we're occupying the space between eras and that's like going to be something that like doesn't really feel like that in the moment but it definitely will will feel like that 15 years later when when the movie got made and so while and and i i definitely felt that kind of seep through with um i think was dawson's like mini monologue of he'll say something and just like, I can say that I did, you know, this, you know, as much as I could while I was stuck in this place, this place being like, it's the evergreen, um, like high school, you know, while I was stuck in high school, but then also like literally this like time between times waiting for the next time to happen when like right. the next sort of thing will happen. And, yeah. and the, the movie captures all of that super well, right? That liminal yeah. space, that ephemeral nature, like it's the end of high school. It's like, it's everybody's last something. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the end of an era. It's all, I think you're right. Like, I think that the movie captures that really well. Yeah. Especially in that shot where it's, and it's like the only really like the clear instance of editing that deviates from the norm that the movie had established up to this point where he's saying that in the background and then the camera is like semi slow motion revolving uh like close up around pink's face like really really good stuff um it, it, like there there is like i said like p- a potentially pretty good nougaty center to this it's just that like not every not remotely every character every one of these like 36 characters has that level of depth or if they do then or, or, or I don't know, some of them do, but a lot of them don't. They have no discerning like characteristics like the Mila Jovovich character, which is not necessarily like, I mean, it's clearly not the actress's fault, but it's just like coincidentally, a lot of like nothing characters from this movie went on to pop off and have successful careers, which is just like when you retroact retroactively like align the marketing for the movie on streaming to be like, there's a Mila, a Mila Jovovich movie. It's like, well... <laughs> Not at all, actually, but continue. Um, so like they're, they're either nothing characters or they are there to service, um, Pink's character specifically. Whereas counter that with everybody wants some, every character has an interiority or at the very least they have a gimmick so that you can discern like this is what this character's like game is. Um, you know, even if they are one dimensional, they are like, they're clear in what that dimension is instead of just like, 
yeah, these are, I don't know, these, whatever, I'm not going to harp on that too much, but like there is, and I, I think the last sort of dangling thread I have right now, and again, I'll try to be succinct, but there is um, like potentially some fascination with the types of things that Linklater uh, chooses to sanitize versus not sanitize. Um, and like one thing I was sort of kicking around is like you could have gone, he could have gone like the the high school movie trope and just been like these, and, and he does to his, like a, a certain um, extent. But like these are these are the like the tiers of high school living. This is like the caste system. You have you have the jocks, you have the stoners, you have the popular kids, you have the you know whoever else is doing. It. And then you have like the underlings, you have the dweebs, you know the people who just like play poker and that's like kind of their their thing and they do nothing else. There is in like an intermingling specifically through not just Pink but also Slater. Um, and I think that like setting it up so that like everybody in this movie smokes or is like down for that. I guess I don't know if that's like a sanitized view or a not sanitized view or like an exclusively nineties view or like how that feels, but that it, that felt like a choice distinctly separating this from, I don't know, like again, so any other high school movie you can think of where it's like the friction comes from the jocks, not wanting the stoners to user pinks, yeah. um, you know, uh, Pink's, uh, uh, his allegiance basically. And just like, they want to play. And then they would be at odds the whole movie. It's like, no, that's to use a word that I hate. Um, there that I, I don't know. I really don't trend toward when like thinking about like critiquing movies, but like that would just be super boring, right? Like that's, I, I've seen that movie before and it's, <laughs> it's boring then too. Um, so I don't, I don't know if those, that's, I, that's at least I, maybe that's a new thread, maybe not, but that's, that's one particular element of this movie that, like set it apart in a good way because we're talking about a lot of things that maybe don't feel so good, but that was one thing in particular that like, I felt like that was a good choice. Yeah. I think those are good choices for setting the scene and making it feel like a more realized, a more real like era and time. And I really like the idea that Linklater or, you know, whatever we're saying Linklater because he was the writer director, but like the characters in this movie, moreover do find like a, a, a certain defensiveness of like Harry was saying of the, of the time that they're in of like the rejecting the notion that it's completely though ephemeral, that it's meaningless right that like the cons like the coach constantly barking down at him about like these people don't matter they don't have anything to lose you do because you have a future and um uh, marissa rubisi saying like do, do you ever feel like we're just here to service the future all those things like that this time is meaningless i love the idea that these characters are rejecting it i think that it is maybe we've identified for me anyway the idea that like the directorial lens the sort of like look we're taking at the characters that he's created is in itself a little too precious for me uh you know that it's like he keeps contrasting them against uh the older generations who are keeping to, you know like rather than just enjoying it and and being cool and stuff it's like it feels like there's always an excuse to like have it be assailed i guess something to defend something to hold really precious and harry reminding me that it's a 1993 movie was very helpful in like couching some of these thoughts like it's not somebody looking back at 50 years ago it's somebody looking back at like 15 20 years ago and that seems like, like when a much he went to high school Right, exactly. That, that's what I mean. It's like it, it, it seems to be like a lot when I reframe it as, oh, the time wasn't 50 years ago when like, you know, I can't even conceive of that amount of time because I haven't been along that alive that long. But like the like, I just feel like that preciousness is what turns me off from it a little bit. Um, I do love that it is realized like Cody's saying where everybody like it's not because he's a jock, he can't be a stoner. It's like, he's trying to find a way for both of these things to be true. And he's like the nexus of that. Everybody seems down to hang out. Even the nerds are like getting into it. The kid who's not 18 goes to buy beer for like, I don't know the pieces of the, of the world do feel alive and they feel like 
this is why I have like a strange relationship to my opinion of the movie is because I, I do recognize quality in the actual filmmaking and like the storytelling there. Uh, it is just like maybe it's when I think about a man telling this story, man, telling the story, putting like it on a screen and deciding the things he's decided about the characters and how they react and who gets attention and who doesn't and who gets to say what it's, uh, you know, it's a certain defensiveness of the time that I don't think anybody I, it just doesn't resonate with me, the idea. And I guess like you don't like calling things uh, boring, Cody. I don't really like saying like it doesn't resonate with me, so it doesn't mean anything. So it's bad just being completely objective as as subjective as I can about it. I don't think that is something that appeals to me personally as somebody who goes to movies is like I don't really I don't really find myself drawn to your opinion of your experience with a thing, um, especially when it's like your experience seemed to be being chill and smoking weed and having friends and beating kids up for fun. Like that, does that have like worth to me as like a, like a state? I don't, I don't think so. Um, I do think it's interesting that the main character, we're kind of like main character, uh, pink Randall. Um, I do think it's interesting that he has like, he has interactions with the incoming generation, uh, Mitch and, you know, and his friends, he has interactions with, uh, the outgoing, like, you know, older crew, uh, and, Wooderson, uh, McConaughey's character. I like him has a like nexus of these ideas. Um, because he even gets like their grandparents who come up to him in the, at the football game or the baseball game and say like, you know, you're, we've got great expectations of you. You're a great looking team, you know, all this kind of stuff. It is like, they paint that with a pretty ham fisted brush of like, he is not just looked at under these kids are looked at as just like a product of their time and able to exist in it. They are looked at as like in trying to define themselves against, what is incoming and what is outgoing. And that's interesting. I think that little space that it creates, but it's all too rare. And then it's often crushed with like, uh, I don't know, the, the more sentimental version of what that movie could be. Um, and it just doesn't strike a tone that really like, if there is that nougat you're talking about, Cody, I don't, I think just there's a little bit too much noise, a little bit too much chocolate on either side for me to be like, Oh, I see that. And I recognize it. And I see it at every like major junction of the movie. Yeah, good metaphor, <laughs> Jason. I liked it. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'm. Again, I have, I have two sort of strains that I wanted to <laughs> strains like like weed <laughs> um, to to talk about. Which is, first of all, I really like the way you characterize this movie. I'm so sorry. No, no, my, right. my computer's going so slowly, and I couldn't get to it in time. Uh, that um, I do agree it's a little too precious, especially the first time I saw this movie. And again, especially concerning its legacy, it just feels so comforting to me. It feels like such a 1993 comforting end of history movie for people that are about Linklater's age to watch and look back on and be like, man, those were some fun times. Shame that like those times are gone now, but we really did it back in the day, didn't we? We sure did. you know. And it's like nothing could be more useless to me in a movie. I, I hate comfort movies. I hate feel good movies. Fuck them. Like I'm on the opposite end. You know, it's like, I think, I think everybody should have to watch the doom generation that watched this movie. Like, there fuck you, you. Um, but on the other hand, like I, I really like this reading, especially of pink and, and really of a lot of the characters that like, I think the melancholy of this movie is that is in, there's sort of a nostalgia for the sixties and what the sixties represented here, which is really a big characterization of the seventies is the seventies were sort of this pessimistic, cynical reaction against the sixties where it's sort of like it failed, right? Like the summer of love, the, the revolution, it all failed. Like, like we didn't get 
the sort of progressive movement forward that we thought we were going to do like like free love and and weed smoking and and like sort of like the evolution of those ideas did not come to pass the way they should however they didn't fail entirely either. It's sort of um, the Silver Juice song, Strange Victory, Strange Defeat, right? Where it's like, these are characters who are caught in between the 60s and the 80s. And the 80s can be characterized as sort of hyper-conservative, right? The Empire Strikes Back, literally. <laughs> um, and uh, But that's not these characters, right? In fact, these characters subvert it in some pretty important ways. Like, I think that, I think that Pink is supposed to be a very pointed subversion of what we think of as a high school quarterback, right? When we think of a high school quarterback, we think of the All-American, right? And Pink is so obviously not that. And this entire movie is about his struggle against that, his his rejection of the idea that he has to represent this sort of like vicarious experience for the previous generation. He has to like put away what, what he has learned from his high school experience, put away his childish friends, his, his weed, put away the um, sort of like progress of the sixties in order to return to this ideal, idyllic idealized um, all American 50 sense of self and that that's where his worth lies and that there is actually nothing happening right now in this era, in his era that is worth hanging on to and taking forward. This movie is a rejection of that, right? It's this idea that like, Hey, maybe the sixties never culminated the way we wanted them to, but that doesn't mean they weren't meaningful. And that doesn't mean we didn't learn anything from that. And that doesn't mean we're not going to take something forward from that. And so this movie, my most generous reading is it's sort of a reclaiming of history in a way, right? Like looking back at the nineties, uh, moving backward through the eighties and this idea that like, Oh, all of the, all of the hippies of the sixties went on to vote for Reagan and, um, conservatism came back and history ended. There is never going to be a left in America. Really. We're never going to see any sort of like real, uh, progress again. Um, I think that this movie is kind of a rejection of that. It's like, Hey, like this was always going on. Like, these were always um, like twin impulses. And just because one is dominant now doesn't mean that it wasn't like the other wasn't there. And actually that struggle was a part of our lives and continues to be. And like, we can still be these people who thought those things and who had those beliefs and our high school selves who were, who were interested in, um, countering the sort of inevitability of, of the narrative. Just because that, that narrative did inevitably play out, it doesn't mean that, that our struggles against it weren't meaningful. It doesn't mean that we aren't still those people. Um, and I, I think that uh, I can be sympathetic to that narrative, even if it's a little bit more conciliatory than I wanted it to be, right? Because it, and, and again, like, I think it is a little bit too comfortable. It is a little bit too, um, nostalgic i think it's it's like it's one of those movies that sort of feels like there's just enough there to get guys like me to not dismiss it but it doesn't really feel like what i'm talking about is the actual point of the movie it feels like the actual point of the movie is to be nostalgic do you know what i mean and like i hate to be all touchy and feely about it but it's like everything that i just said i think it's there i think it's a strain that exists inside of this movie but like, I think that the movie ultimately exists for the people who are just nostalgic for it. And like, maybe that's a movie, but it's just not a movie I'm that interested in. And yeah. like, I wish that they would have done something else with it. And like, I don't know, but I'm but I'm going back and forth, right? I'm playing my own devil's advocate because I think that like there is something about the formal construction of this aimlessness that matches the thematic aimlessness, right? That like, hey, like none of this is going anywhere because it doesn't have anywhere left to go. 
And we all know that. And so we're a little strung out and we're a little bit spitting our wheels. Yeah. And like, that's how the movie feels. That's also like how the era felt, I, I guess. And like, there's something to all of that. It just doesn't hit me quite maybe because I, I don't like that it hits that way. Maybe I don't like that that was true of that time. I like to think of it in a different way, like Pink himself, maybe. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I just, I think that, like, I have a very ambivalent relationship to this movie, but it's kind of interesting in that, like, I think this movie itself is kind of ambivalent, you know, in a, in a way that, that I think is kind of fascinating. Yeah, I agree. Um, Perhaps a little too ambivalent sometimes, and the one uh that i'm because it's been brought up at least once the like the the shot it really is just like a a a shot of pink after the little league game getting approached by those two elderly individuals being like you know can't wait for the upcoming football season and for a second i was like oh my uh, did i forget like how hard they leaned on that like uh, i mean because like we really just see it through the football coach that's where a lot of the the um like the thematic narrative of the just, finger you wagging know, yeah yeah like yeah, well, prior and, generation finger wagging and Go the ahead. fact that this movie takes place in texas right which like you can't that's the thing forget that like te- texas high school football is not like the rest of the country's high school football right <laughs> right yeah that yeah that's my point and that's it's something that especially it my knee jerk reaction, not quite a, a fight or flight response, but the fact that there is almost a subgenre. I mean, there is a subgenre of like Texas football movies and TV series where that like it is we live and die by how successful our local football team is. But there is the conflating. I mean, the way it easily tethers into kind of what we've been talking about of just like older generations maintaining some sort of level of like uh, like intimate authority over the lives of these kids because like it, these kids can't fully live they can live their own lives as long as they all they they come back and win the football games next fall and go on to state or, or whatever the what you know whatever the I don't know it's football whatever it's a, it's a it's a plague upon our nation but it is what it is in texas it's very important um and everybody wants some it pivots to baseball which is a way better sport um still has its problems but you know um but be that as it may so that's and you like that is something that is really just touched on for for that scene and whenever the football coach makes an appearance at the end but that is like that is it's lingering in the background not enough to where i felt like that was a looming like thing to consider in this of just like, well, how how is the rest of this town going to feel if, if pink doesn't play football, because like, we're all like, we're all going to die if this football team goes sub 500 or whatever the hell. Um, but that's, yeah, I don't know. Like this is a different movie. They weren't as concerned about that. Um, but that, I don't know, worth considering that that is like a route that they could have gone and, and actively chose not to. Maybe they're better for it. If you like the weed smoking, non-critical lens mm-hmm. that this, that this film takes, but the bliss um, out, man. Yeah. <laughs> puff puff movie pass. There there I, I like oh, to draw oh, that up. Assad. Assad. We have I think if there's a strain of something underneath there, Cody, it is for me anyway, it is it is that it is that um like the little peaks at the, what you called was it intimate authority that uh older generations have over like the present one, whether they know it or not. Like we set up I forget which characters it is exactly, but we set up three girls in the bathroom talking about feminism talking about like oh Gilligan's man that Island scene is so lines. bad <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's not it's not it's not great but here it is like it's sort of saying to me it's saying like these are kids 
learning how to deal with their like their teacher is the only one in their lives who's telling them these things somebody of a slightly older generation not like grandparent old but you know went through high school already has their own family that type of thing definitely different different generation now they themselves are gaining some awareness of the current state of the world they're learning about things those the nerds in the car including adam goldberg they're talking about you know the warren commission and shit like they are becoming aware of the present and how it's maybe changing for the future um and every at every turn the older most other older generations uh the coach and those grandparents and the parents who stay home when the when that one kid wants to have a party they are like sort of clamping down on that they're enforcing what uh, you know, their traditional values are, they are like sort of putting a restriction on that. And that is where that, some of that sentimentality comes into me, but it's at odds with, I don't know if this is intentionally ironic or not, but like the hazing that all these kids go through is specifically because it's a changing of generations. It's a passing of the baton between two generations of like Parker Posey and her crew hazing the freshman girls is like, I, I, I don't know. I'm having a hard time vocalizing that that just feels um, like almost uh, an ironic or funny uh, pointed thing for them to do is to like, I had to go through this. So you have to go through this. That's pretty much what the coach, like at a well, base yeah, but, level, but that's see, the emotional Jason, impact that the coach wants the, to have, you know? The cool guys don't really like the hazing. They do participate in it, but they don't and, really like it and, that much. And that's where I'm like, okay, so Linklater sort of heard maybe in 1993 people like me saying like, well, isn't, aren't the girls hazing just like they were hazed? Isn't that like not a very forward thinking, not a very like we're preparing for the future type mindset? And he would say then, oh, well, the main character, he's a cool guy. He can get by. He's not really into it. He's going to fake slap the one kid's ass and then he's going to buy him beer. It's like, I don't know if it, it feels mealy mouthed at times um, where like that, that intimate authority is, is, is hinted at is like, Oh, there's an irony to how these kids are. Like you said, all rivers lead to the ocean, that sort of thing. Like there's an inevitability. You're going to become your parents no, no matter what you, and I guess maybe he had some better insight to it being closer to the eighties. And I was to like recognizing, I mean, personally, this is Jason Daffa speaking. I know that Ronald Reagan ruined my mom, like just destroyed her concept, her entire concept of, responsibility and of uh you know national pride and of everything that now like right-leaning people have associated with their entire world oh view. man dude like i grew up with my dad telling me that he was the best president who ever lived it's, like that was it, a thing that i heard relatively so, like, frequently so if richard linklater saw those people happen i'm assuming like most kids in this movie probably went through that in in the extended universe of this of these characters if we saw another 15 years of their lives i'm assuming that's what would happen to a lot of them um i don't it makes me feel up and down. I know how you feel, Harry, with uh, like you're you're sort of backing backtracking because I like that idea. I just don't know that I see it represented in the movie. I didn't think of it until I like talked about it with two friends on a podcast. If that means if that tells you anything, yeah. Well, I mean, I I actually think I've come around to a reading of this movie that I can be somewhat comfortable with, which is that I think it captures something that's like deeply true about teenage dumb and coming of age, which is this idea that like you have this vague dissatisfaction with what you are heir to. There's this idea that like you don't want to be what comes next, but you also don't have the vocabulary or the resources to uh, resist it. Like that's very much what's happening here, I feel. I mean, like Pink even says, like, I think that one of the great log lines of this movie is he's like, Well, maybe I'll play football, but I'm never signing that. And it's like, holy shit, you showed him Pink. You know what I mean? And and it's like, all right, guy, like, we get it. Like you're gonna be a hometown hero either way. But like, I think the movie's point is that like just because we were teenagers who didn't really under, have a great understanding of of how we were gonna stand apart, didn't really know how to resist 
the coming of history and the sort of great normalizing um, factor that was going to turn us all into our parents. Just because like we weren't capable of resisting that at the time, it doesn't mean that our struggles against it weren't valid. And it doesn't mean that like our feelings about dazed and confused, though they may be, right, that they weren't something real and something that that's worth remembering and worth holding on to. And I, you know, I mean, like, I think that, and again, I, I hate to just like make this all personal, right? But like, that is an element of my high school and coming of age experience that I really understood, right? Because it's like, you know, I thought I was like a conservative until I was like 14, because my dad was a conservative, right? Or whatever, because that's what they told me. And like, because 9-11 happened, and then we were all so scared of brown people, right? Or like, we were being told by the media to be so afraid of Muslims that like, oh, you have to like, you have to be really, and I was never like that. And I always hated all of that shit, right? Like viscerally hated all of that shit and wanted to um, resist it. But like, I, I was never taught what leftism was when I was in high school, right? Like nobody ever told me any of that shit. I didn't know I was a communist until I was in college, right? And like, that's, that is the dissatisfaction that I feel here is this idea that like these kids know they don't want to be their parents. They know they don't want to do what they're told. They just don't have the vocabulary to express an alternative yet. And there is this idea, there is this anxiety in this movie that because they don't have who they are figured out, because they don't have this alternative ideology sketched out and like ready to go, it sort of means that it doesn't exist, right? It means mm. that they're not going to be different, that they're in fact not actually different at all. And I think this movie is sort of ambivalent because it's like, well, it's it, both are true, right? Like you are going to eventually kind of like, you are going to be normalized. There's this great heterogeneous uh, of American culture that's going to transform you into somebody like that. However, like it doesn't mean that like when you were feeling those things and couldn't express them, that that wasn't valid or true. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I think that like, there is something deeply true to that. Like, I think that like, on the nose as it is, right, like the scene of Pink interacting with the old Texan is like a really strong scene. Um, and I think that like them sitting at the the football field and smoking weed and being like, man, like, what are we going to fucking do next? And they're like, who knows, man? And like, it's not going to be good or whatever. Um, it, and like, what what did this mean? And where are we going that sort of and like being confused about both of those things. Um, I think there's something really deeply true about that. And I think that the way that it tacks that experience of coming of age in the sort of intimate personal way with these teenagers into sort of a narrative of American history is kind of interesting, right? Because there's this idea that like we lost something really important in the 70s, but like maybe we hung on to something else, right? Like, like maybe there is still something there. Um, and I think that like, again, my most generous read is that I think that's the nostalgia here. And that's why the movie is capable of being ambivalent and um, a little bit ironic about that nostalgia, because it is a movie about failure, ultimately, in some ways. Right. But it's also a movie about sort of taking with you what you can mm -hmm. in 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 the face of inevitability almost. Yeah. So not necessarily a nostalgia for you know, spanking and hazing and destroying mailboxes and things and the actual things we see, but it's a nostalgia for like the sort of momentum spirit that we lost toward a better world in the sixties. I not even just like I more, it, a more personal level than that. It just like sort of an identity that was inside these kids, this idea, like this spirit that they didn't want to be like their parents or they didn't want to sort of like just 
be oh. what comes next. They yeah, wanted yeah. to be their own thing. They wanted to be something different. They wanted to be something that could sort of synthesize um, who they are and the 70s and their friends, right? Like Pink doesn't want to yeah. just be a quarterback. He wants to be himself, right? He wants to hang out with his friends and go to Aerosmith. And there's this mm-hmm. idea that like because he didn't define who that person was, who Pink was, he lost it. And there's the sense in which it's slipping away. But I think this movie is about sort of reclaiming it, even if you don't exactly know what it is. And I I think that that idea that like, oh, I don't know who I am, but I'm I am that person. God damn it. And I'm going to hang on to it. It's like there's a there's a spirit of teenager dumb there that I think is like really deeply true. Okay, I could definitely see that again with the lens of like the time period that it's discussing and the time period that it was made in somebody looking back at that time doesn't necessarily like i think i'm reading what's on what i'm seeing which is like oh i miss you know the hay i miss the hazing i miss the teenage party i miss the drink i miss the smoking i miss etc and maybe that is like the emblems of that of that spirits for lack of a better term of that like hope of that um feeling of like you know that that teenagehood or just like being uh, and, a useless like, dipshit right? right it's like like this and, is kind of a movie for people like jim and pam like office workers who have become yeah. respectable to watch and feel like on some level inside they still are those punks right and i'm thinking richard linklater in 93 like this was this was his first big thing right like his his big old blank check or what did he have something but in any case by this time he is having business meetings. He is discussing budgets and finance. He is like working through agents and stuff. I assume to get movie, you know, working with Warner bros to get a movie made. Like I can see how in any field, if you like make a living, if you're sort of existing in a capitalist system that you would look back at the times when that didn't, when that wasn't part of your life and think these were times that this is like a feeling of a, 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 a mode of existence right. that I wish like we had held on to, or that we like, it's like could have it parlayed would, into something, you know. It's this sort of like great sort of comic tragedy that it was like that was the last time we were ever allowed to be ourselves, and yeah. we didn't know we didn't know who we were then, and so and kind of know how to, youth is yeah. wasted on the young, right? And like now, now only now that we can look back on it, can we understand what that was? And it's kind of too late, right? I think that that's sort of like one of the great sad ironies of um, this movie, but I th- I think yeah. it's poignant in some ways, yeah. I like that take. I think that does brighten me a little bit on Dazed and Confused. Um, I have to, I forget exactly what he said. Blake Hester was going to join us for this, was unable to. Um, he said, uh, and I'm coming a little more around to his perspective on it, not fully, but greatest movie ever and Parker Posey is his wife. So that's the final word on the actual movie. But we have- Oh, he, he really loves this movie? He loves this movie. He uh, oh, wow. even gave me, uh, I didn't, didn't didn't get a chance to read, just leafed through. All Right, All Right, All Right by Melissa Mayers, um, the oral history of Linklater's- uh, Oh, cool. reviews, which actually is like for the passages I read pretty fun and revealing. Uh, he called it one of the best books he's ever read about movies. Um, check him out. He's on Twitter at Metallica is rad. I don't know why I'm plugging him, uh, but we do have a couple more segments on this show. Um, one of which is the junk drawer. I'm going to open it up here with a quick swift. And I'm going to ask you for your uh, thoughts that didn't fit in the broader conversation, any of the like longer arcs that we went through, uh, any one-offs, any cute, fun things, any like moments that struck you differently, irrespective of the rest of the conversation. Cody. Uh, super one-off. The only thing I got, um, the first time I saw this movie, I was really tickled by this moment and it got me again, uh, rewatching it yesterday, but, uh, in one of the many just like car driving hangout scenes, uh, the car that um, Slater 
and oh hell, uh, Dawson, Don Dawson is a tough God, name. What because it's like those Evercr- should be. He looks like Bradley yeah. Evercrest the Third from a very goofy movie. He he totally does. Um, in my mind, like so, somebody can't be named Don Dawson shit, in a movie. <laughs> Because, like they should be two separate characters, but Don yeah, Dawson yeah. is the same person. There's Don and there's Dawson and then there's uh. Don Dawson. But Slater, it, it concludes a conversation with like a car full of um, presumably like high school girls. Uh, and he goes, all right, check you later. Uh, and then Dawson razzes him. Just just like, why do you gotta be such a dork, man? And then he mimics him. He's like, check you later, check you later. <laughs> um, really, really my, funny. My for first time reasons I can't comprehend. This movie with Seth, we 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 linked onto that too. Like we, we, would, <laughs> we would just say, check you later. For like the next six months after when we were leaving the house, and then just because of the like the emotional whiplash that that character brings, it's just like moments later he gets so like he gets like visibly annoyed. He's just like chicks don't want that shit, man. (laughs) It's like what a what a like problematic fave. Um, Dawson has some really just like he's a big shithead, but he also has some really banger um, funny moments. So yeah, I don't know. Check you later. I want to dog as many girls as I can while I'm stuck in this place. (laughs) I think he says later on. It's pretty funny. Um. Let's see. I don't have a lot. Uh, Parker Posey, once again, an unbelievable powerhouse performance. She's such a hateable character in this, but I still love her. Uh, she's so good. She says, I mean, and I, I apologize, you know, um, she says the word bitch funnier than anybody ever has, where she's like, get up, bitch. <laughs> and she she's puts like, like a few E's and A's in it's there. It's so good. And like, she's always chewing gum, just like in Guffman. <laughs> and like, I think I was watching with Kelly and she said this so I can get away with saying it. She's like, how did she make a sweater look that good? <laughs> she looks like so good in this movie. It's it's crazy. Um, let's see. And then uh, I guess the other thing, and this is maybe kind of appropriate to this movie, but like few movies ever make me uh, more uncomfortably reflective than this one. Like I, holy shit, was I thinking about my high school experience a lot after watching this. And just thinking about how it was different and why it was different and sort of like how strange and bad a time <laughs> that was in my life. And so maybe there there's something to that too, right? Like there's this almost like look back with grace, not with uh, don't look back in anger. <laughs> uh, but but man, um, that was an that's an interesting it's a it's a nostalgic movie that that awakens some very anti nostalgic feelings in me, and that I guess uh, contributes further to the ambivalence. But maybe in a way that is by design. Uh, I think it might just be a hairy thing. I think uh, I think that's just you. I think it's, you're the problem here. Uh, no, I, I um, th- there's one moment. Uh, it's just before Dawson makes a pass at his teacher. I think maybe just after, but. Floyd is talking, Pink is talking with Don about um, like, you know, hey man, how many times have you gotten laid just for being a football player? Like think, think about everything you've done just through football. And then like for a flat, for just in a passing line, he says like, I think the actual line is, I'm looking at the subtitles right now because I want to get it right. He's like, I bet we could do just as well if we were in a band or something. Yeah. And then they just drop the whole idea. Like they have this moment where like, Oh, this spirit isn't like, it's not what we do. It's not like the emblems by which we represent ourselves. It's like the spirit of the thing. How we, how we like live in t- and, and uh, harness this opportunity we have in our lives. And then they just throw it away and they walk away. And, 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 well, the scene and is done, specifically you know? Dawson has this hilarious like shrug thing that he does that's sort of like neither so yes good. nor no but sort of like he kind of like shakes his whole body just in response and it, <laughs> we're supposed to glean something from that and then they just move on and it is really the perfect response to that sort of like 
it's thing good. to say. <laughs> it's good. It's a great character moment for them both. And I love, I do honestly love that it is just tossed away because it is like that's the attitude toward it is don't spend this time talking about this time, you know, uh, while we live, let us live type of deal. Um, that was my junk drawer thought of this movie. Uh, and I'll offer one last time if that was a new thing, but new strain of thoughts uh, uh i mean matthew mcconaughey is really good in this movie playing a oh, super yeah. creep and there is something very like specifically 1970s about being like semi-nostalgic about like huh, mm. remember those huge creeps we used to hang out with boy were those guys punks and, and assholes and uh probably predators like at one point they even say to him like man you're gonna end up in jail someday <laughs> and it's like <laughs> oh well yeah probably and probably deservedly so <laughs> yeah but yeah you, it's you, it's an interesting it's i think that encapsulates the sort of like uh almost nostalgia against our better judgment uh that that this movie can can aim at sometimes where it's like we shouldn't be nostalgic about a guy like like wood right because like he's a loser and kind of a creep but like yeah. they did anyway right they were anyway yeah a little bit i i think it's funny to point out like he is a somebody just for being in his early 20s supposedly as the character in this movie he is somebody who's been through sort of like what these kids have been through and he's still like hanging around in it he's like being the pre he's being the richard linklater of this movie he's being a little bit precious about that time you know i mean if because I'm he doesn't have anything else right exactly because he like you, you wonder if like who of these characters that are now leaving high school is going to be the next wooderson right um it, it is an interesting like again reprehensible character on many levels uh and but just like an interesting little curio of the movie i think is to think of it more than just like a punchline or a, or a creeper is like oh uh sort of like a harbinger in some ways i i i think i get a little bit more of his character thinking about like that yeah i mean that. do you um, think of i was just gonna ask do you think of like pink's line as ironic where he says if i ever remember these as the best years of my life remind me to kill myself like is the idea that they are the best years of his life and he just doesn't realize it yet or are we supposed to be hopeful about his future or is it a little bit of both maybe i i think the movie wants me to believe that his best years are ahead because like he is now self-defining when he throws away the paper and he says i'm not gonna play football for you like who knows what actually happened with that situation in the extended lore here in the extended story but i think you're supposed to read that like yeah whatever he ended up doing it was more of what he wanted to be rather than like having been chided by an older generation again a little bit sentimental a little bit like leonizing uh but i don't like that that's how i read it i don't think that it's truly supposed to be like these are the best times of his life and like it's worse from here yeah i do think i mean thematically that does call back to the whole like when he's talking with dawson just like if our end goal here is to like get with chicks then like the like we could be on the football team we could just as easily be in a band yeah if like again if like if if it doesn't like they're more or less reading between the lines it's almost like oh, like we're we're good at football we play football because we're good at it you know there's that weird sort of like um i don't know symbiotic relationship just like we we are we are man boys uh we we play football um and like our lives are good because we do this just like i don't know like if my heart's not, pink thinking if my heart's not in it i could like be in a band uh and like get to like still have a successful time you know in supposedly the best years of of my life and i don't know i i think back to that scene when thinking about the that line because i think unintentionally there is some irony there um, it plays into like the bleak sort of uh, overtones and undertones of this movie of just yeah. like, I don't know, depending on like if he if he really acts on these impulses that he has now, then yeah, his best years are probably ahead of him. Um, but I don't like just as easily like he could 
I don't know, he could coast through high school um, and like end up playing football. And, and maybe like these the high school years will be his best years because he's the quarterback of a fucking Texas football team. Like, yeah. It does not like get better he's than that Christ. in that specific area of the country. <laughs> well, you know? and, and he hangs out with Woody Harrelson, right? And like Woody Harrelson's whole deal or Woody Harrelson. Jesus. I'm thinking of true detective. <laughs> Woody Witterson. Uh, yeah. Or, or, that's that must have been where I was going. But he hangs out with Matthew McConaughey, who like that's his whole thing, right? Is like high school was the best time of his life and so it's like if you're if this is like your aspirational guy right it's like but i i think i think you're right jason i think it's kind of this idea that like hey remember now that you're like looking back nostalgically at high school remember that back then you were you couldn't wait for this time Mm -hmm. and like maybe there's something to that and it's sort of like remember like it's like you're still that person and you're still you've still got something coming to you in Linklater's case, he had lots of better movies ahead of him. Uh, <laughs> as as Cody pointed out, he made uh, Before Sunrise two years later. Um, that movie's much better than this movie. You know what? After this discussion, I'm much more willing to get into the Before trilogy. Still haven't seen any of them, and I'm trying to go hands-off until I go uh, do a deep dive on all three. So this is a good impetus. Harry, great question. I loved where that took us. Uh, here's a question for you. What gift do you think should be part of this episode? Yes, I just transitioned without introducing the next bit. That was masterful, Jason. Masterful. Um, lots of weed smoking in this movie. That would be pretty good. Um, not the paddling. None of the paddling sequences. Maybe um, Parker Posey doing the little dance with the ketchup bottles, and like she she yeah. does this amazing thing where she like whips the ketchup around, and none of it gets on her somehow, even though it's like all up in the air, and it's it's really she amazing. Mess phobic. I don't. Yeah, get it. it's it's really something. So I really liked that. I can't believe. Also, you asked for kids being blown up and then you ask for the guy eating his cum and now you're like no not the spanking not well the spanking. I, I know that the the fucking dictators that edit this podcast aren't going to give me what i want anyway so i might as well not even try right you that's what it's all about you, you don't you don't have the you don't have the one co-host who's like ah uh, and my pick will be actually yes the paddling <laughs> scenes to counteract the non-paddling legislation that has been put forth uh, uh, also maybe ben affleck getting a bunch of paint dumped on his head that's really good um, because like fuck O'Banion or whatever, he's so hateable yeah. in this movie. It's he's, it's great. It the amount of like impact he has on the plot to the amount of bullshit he like is that is put in his way. I love it. He is just hate hateable, and you like see the rewards of that hate. You never see him like getting what he really wants. Love it. Um, Cody, your thoughts about what we should use as a gift for this episode? Yeah, uh, two humble submissions this week. Uh, around forty eight fifty five. Um, one of the great, like low key, um, just kind of glanced over visual gags where I believe it's Dawson going to the trunk of his car. He opens it up and it is a trunk full of beer. Um, and then the, like five minutes later, obviously What's better than clear. this, just guys, be uh, dudes. True. Uh, and then like five minutes later, uh, th- when they go, just like, ah, we're out of beer. We need to like make a run. <laughs> just like, God damn it. Uh, but the trunk full of beer, uh, pretty good. And then. Uh, around one twenty-three, twenty-two, one hour, twenty-three minutes, twenty-two seconds. When they um find out the the keg is um is empty, and they like do the lever, and then they just like put the empty cup or the partially empty cup on it. Um, that close up. I don't know. Really, Ooh. I, I don't know. I really, really it's good. Like, I like it's that like it's like they they're closing so, closing a tap that uh that they thought they had so much more from. It's something yeah. something they 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 went to for sustenance. Yeah. Wow. Multitudes. I love that. Yeah. What are your picks, Jason? My picks are going to be um, I, the ketchup gif as well. I think that's certainly going to be one of them. Uh, 
I love the shot I mentioned earlier where a bunch of kids show up at the party without realizing it's been canceled and just dive into the bushes and they don't like the camera doesn't move or anything. You're still like a static frame on the opening door with that like super Republican looking dad. They run away like raccoons in the night. (laughs) It's wild into the bushes out of focus. I love it. Um, There's the shot of them destroying mailboxes and they just explode the one that's like the American flag. Very funny. Um, And then which is uh, clearly the guy that holds them up with his 44 later right like that was definitely that guy's mailbox i i yeah you have to think uh america um yeah i I think those will be my my three suggestions thank you for your uh four or five suggestions you can keep an eye on uh trial of podcast on twitter to see which ones get pulled i mean they'll all get pulled uh except for well none that are on this episode we need to worry about but um you'll see the ones that we've talked about on twitter probably late I'm not very good at staying on a schedule, but you'll see them eventually. I still have to create ones from Mad Max, an episode we did with Natalie Marlin, and I still remember that I need to make those. That was like two months ago. Uh, but we have one actual final segment of the show, Yahoo, uh, and Harry always introduces it with me. Yes, it's the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties. Wow. Thank you, gentlemen. That introduction was of a particular time and place. Oh, man. man. We should have we should have done the slow down. <laughs> Right, we should have been like Cody's Noties. Co- That's sweet emotion. That's right, it is. <laughs> I was Whatever, confused for the entirety of that. <laughs> but were you dazed? Cody's. Uh, uh, hey, those kids were certainly hazed and not confused. Um, spanking. Uh, this week's segment will have very little to do with Dazed and Confused uh, because earlier this weekend, we heard that actor Frederick Forrest had passed away at the age of 86. You may be asking, how is he tailored to us in this podcast? We'll get to that eventually. And in order to get there, uh, I'd like to introduce a segment lovingly called Try Lost in the Woods because hopefully by the end, we'll work our way out of the Frederick Forrest. There it is. Uh, This will be a trivia thing. I will present each item of trivia one at a time after reading each prompt. I will ask y'all in the order of Jason, then Harry to respond. You'll get a point for every correct answer or closest to the correct answer. And the person with the most points at the end will win. As always, trivia mafia rules apply here. So use your noodles, not your Googles. Uh, With that, uh, we'll jump in. And I'll just say just because, I don't know, I, I feel like it might happen if you're not a typical listener of the podcast and you're tuning in because you found uh, a movie in the feed that you recognize more than some of the other um, you know, uh, stuff that we cover that is maybe not as mainstream. You may be thinking, well, I, I don't know anything about this actor named Frederick Forrest, uh, to which I say, perfect, neither do we. Uh, question one, <laughs> uh, just to get it out of the way, how tall is Mary Lou Henner, who was married to Frederick Forrest for a few years in the early 80s? Uh, Jason? Oh, wow. Uh, still, still recovering from the whiplash. Um, I'm going to say five foot nine. Five foot nine, locking it in, and Harry, how tall? I'll go five seven. Five seven. All righty, thank you. Going off a few sources on the internet, Mary Lou Henner is allegedly five feet seven inches. Harry gets it. Um, I gotta so stop imagining like women as slightly taller than average. He just. I- Jason can't help it. He just loves a tall woman. That's just what he sees in his head it's when he closes his eyes. <laughs> the moral victory is yours. Uh, but it unfortunately does not get you a point. That point goes to Harry. Still very much anybody's game as we head into question two, uh, which next we'll take a look at 1979's The Rose. 
which earned a Forest and Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor Performance. The Rose is, uh, as of yesterday when I checked, um, per like letterbox, like pulling in details from like streaming sites, not currently streaming anywhere, but a physical release was put out by Criterion. Uh, the Rose occupies spine number 757 and had a release date uh, of May 19th, 2015. That's when it was um, made available on physical release, physical media. My question for you, which previous Try Love episode movie had a Criterion release date that took place before The Rose? So before May 19th, 2015, I'll give you three options. We have uh, option A, Lady Snowblood. Option B, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. And option C, Ratcatcher. So which one of those was put out by Criterion before The Rose, Jason? I'm going to say... Impossible option, to cover the spread. Yeah, option A. Option A, locking it in. And Harry, what do you think? Option A was also going to be my guess, but uh, I'm going to go with McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I know we're not covering the spread, but it's more honorable to choose a different... All right. Well, hey, the the moral victory uh, maybe yours in this case, um, but the actual victory goes to neither of you for this question because Fuck. it's Ratcatcher. Ratcatcher, Rat seriously? Uh, spine that's number a, one. Very surprising to me. Yeah. So, so Ratcatcher spine one sixty two. I it was either out of print or just limited to like standard definition DVD for a while until I think pretty recently it got the Blu Ray slash like four K scan treatment. Um, but originally. Spine 162, Lady Snowblood, Spine 790, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Spine 827. Um, hey, uh, so, shout outs to Feel Bad Movies, by the way. <laughs> if if you just watch Days and Confused, you're like, ugh, that was just too comforting. Go ahead and watch Ratcatcher. <laughs> That'll be a good, uh, <laughs> a good amuse-bouche for you. Uh, and then take a couple of showers. Uh, question three, uh, Forrest reportedly had an extensive collection of memorabilia based on which famous celebrity personality i'll give you three options for this one as well um so which uh, celebrity spawned a, a collection of memorabilia of, of frederick forrest we have a james dean b elvis presley c frank sinatra what's your pick jason i'm gonna say jimmy dean Jimmy Dean locking that one in, and Harry, what's your guess? Oh man, I had really hoped that one of these answers was just going to be fucking little freak territory. It's like, yeah, <laughs> Billy Crystal. He has the largest collection of Billy Crystal bobbleheads. And it's just like, what the fuck? Uh, but I'll go with. Uh, I guess I'll go with Elvis. All right, uh, pelvis Presley locking that one in. The correct answer. Uh, a James Dean, uh, James being his <sighs> Christian name, uh, per IMDb uh, from a trivia entry that was probably entered a long time ago. Forrest quote has a collection of James Dean memorabilia and more than two hundred hats. It is unclear whether the hats are related to the James Dean collection hmm. or if that's a separate collection. But there's a lot of hats in there. Too, can we, can James we contact Dean, Mr. Forrester's estate to find to get clarity on that? We could, but I do not plan on doing so. <laughs> if you feel like taking that on, Mr. Super I'm Cody, Producer, I'm Cody, I'm Cody's notice. Uh, yeah, can you, uh, can we get the hot, hot scoop? Uh, are these hats James Dean hats? James Dean known got, for having split infinitives <laughs> in the description. I don't know. <laughs> James Dean famously having um, like an elaborately, not elaborately, but just like a, an infamous hairstyle that was not covered by hats. But um, uh, I don't know. That may, maybe some snuck in. We don't know. Yeah. We're never going to know. Well, when uh, you have but, that many hats, surely one of them at one point could have belonged to James Dean. Maybe. Just the law of oh. large numbers, right? That's not what that uh, means. The law of large numbers, huh? 
Uh, all right, we're gonna. I, I, we're gonna... I do it all for you, Cody, the stats major. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna tiptoe past that. Uh, the scoreboard shows a tie, one point apiece. Still, very definitely anybody's game as we head into question four, which reads as follows: <clears throat> Forrest had a a small but crucial role in the conversation. Which, hey, previous episode uh, in 2012, something called the Motion Picture Editors Guild ranked the uh, the film The Conversation as one of the best edited films of all time, based on a survey of its You're membership. You're right, TBH. They are very correct. We're all nodding um, in the background here, which you know we all, we all believe that to be true. But the, the question is, what rank, what specific rank on that list did the conversation achieve? Uh, so where do you think the conversation ranked on this list by the fancy editors? Jason? Will you give me any information on how many are on the list total? Nope, because mm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need to say that. You could have just been the, the sphinx in the background. Um, yeah, I it, like. S- I mean, it's a it's a you know a, a list of of the very best. Okay. So so it's not you know, it's not exp- it's not like the one thousand six hundred and eighteen yeah, best not that. movies yeah, of the fifties. Okay, right, right. Uh, we're gonna say number seven. I feel like it's really well regarded for its editing in particular. All right, I got you down for number seven. And Harry, where do you think uh, the conversation ranks on this list? Um, uh, I could really ace Jason out. I think I'm going to go with number four. Harry is going to go with number four. The conversation was voted the 11th best edited film of all time by the members of the Motion Picture Editors Guild. So there is that. Uh, that is fucking bullshit. <laughs> and his uh, guess, Harry's guess, was ranked the second best guess. For this question, <laughs> hey! uh, not too shabby. Uh, but hey, you know we're we're still in spitting range here. Uh, that we've got one question to go. Scores two to one in favor of Jason for this fifth and final question. We turn to Valley Girl, which hey, previous episode, Shit, episode I'm number toast. seven. I am toast. Uh, I don't. I don't. We'll get there. Uh, episode number seven. Uh, one of our very first episodes of the podcast. Uh, throughout the film Valley Girl, a uh, Forrest's character, uh, Steve Richmond, the father of the female protagonist Julie, wears a yellow T-shirt that reads "Foods for Health." Uh, inevitably, there are numerous vendors online that sell replicas of this shirt. Uh, I googled that prompt and clicked on the first result. My question for you is: How much does a fan-made replica? of one of these foods for health shirts cost. Um, there are just two of us uh, or two of y'all on the pod, not three. So I, this out of kind of the, the rules here are, are truncated slightly, but the closest guess um, is going to get three points. And then the next closest guess is going to get two, uh, two points. So, so we know what's at stake here. Um, uh, it's either going to be a, a tire or, or a victory for, for one of yes. Um, and that's that's all I'll say because I'm tripping over my words. But three points for the closest guess. Next next closest gets two. The third closest guess would have gotten one point. But Aaron's not here because reasons. Aaron reasons. But how much do you think one of those foods for health shirts go for uh, on this particular vendor's website, Jason? And you will not provide more information about context here. Uh, correct. I gave or... you. I feel like you know what. Not to toot my own horn, I feel like I gave you a lot of good you, you, context. You did, you did. The first the movie one. is Valley Girl, Jason. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've heard of it. My first question is like, oh, is it Etsy? Is it Redbubble? Is it Tipa? Is it like one of those make a shirt things? Stop or is asking it... questions. Now, now I know that he won't answer them, 
I, I, ex- I accept that, but I must walk the listener through my process, my mental process. This is like the show, The Mentalist. If you ever saw The Mentalist, I saw an episode of that in Japan. It was fully in Japanese and he had a really, really, really masculine voice. He doesn't have a super masculine voice in the American version. Hmm. He's Australian and he's just got- Interesting. Thing. Anyway, we have, I'm going to say $26.99 before shipping. 26. Yes. That, that I, yeah, that I can give. This is all before shipping. Uh, I, I can give that context. So 26.99 got you penciled in for that. And Harry, what's your guess for the cost of this shirt? Oh man, that's a really good guess, Jason. That's very similar to what I was going to guess. Um, you know, I feel like I've really seen some ridiculous prices for t-shirts on the yeah, internet. I'm going to yeah. go with 29.99, just under 30 bucks. Twenty nine ninety nine is the guess. Just doing some some mental math here, uh, really straining the old the old neurons there, firing. Um, I just to get ahead of this, I'm going to say in advance. Thank you. I, I do believe we are no longer try lost in the woods. I have no allegiance toward any of the vendors that sell this shirt. Um, so I'm I, I'm not. I don't feel like. I don't know, calling, but just Google it. Whatever site looks most legit, there are plenty of them out there. Um, th- this rate does seem comparable across the board for all of them, like somewhat similar. But the rate that I came across uh, at the the first the first hit I got, uh, thirty five dollars is the going rate for a Foods for Health shirt, which means Harry gets three points, Jason gets two, the fellas are tied at four a piece. They Whoa. get to share. The POP, the pop-off platform. So um, have at it, fellas. Uh, Share the load. Honestly, not just winning here. I fumbled the bag even though I tied it up. Even though I didn't lose per se, I fumbled real hard. I'm just glad Aaron didn't win. I know yeah. he wasn't here, but you know, anytime Amen. Aaron doesn't win, that's a victory for for well, it's a loss for everyone, him, honestly. Really. Like, yeah, not competing. Exactly. It's a loss for him. So, also, what is going on? People can just charge whatever the fuck they want for t-shirts, huh? It's yeah. like it's a fucking t-shirt. Like, what is it? Cotton, probably. It's, it's regular like, Gildan cotton fucking, or whatever. Like, that's an insane amount of money to pay for a t-shirt, guys. It is Come too on, much. it is too much. To I, be to be to get them, they do get the font kind of cl- like it's it's like it doesn't look too new. It's like it's the the thing that um that like capitalists do where they like make it look a little extra shitty and then like charge you more for it. But it is movie I, accurate for I what like it's worth. It like, does like look like it has been worn. They almost get the font right to be. Fair. No, they do. No, <laughs> no, they no. Good. Sorry, sorry. They they get it right in that it's not it's not like a crisp shirt because in the movie I, I was like I was pouring over pictures of him because or, or like him wearing the shirt because I was like oh, how close did they get it and they got it um oh yeah oh me too uh they got it um they got it pretty close uh, but also there are dozens of vendors who got it pretty close so I don't know if that is a piece of memorabilia that y'all are hankering for also weirdly leaning on the memorabilia the last couple weeks of of noties um I'm. I'm. I got. Will he keep up the streak, it, or will he throw us a curveball with weeks? It's a. It's a slippery slope for between this and me churning out, you know, three hundred bucks on a Wonka bar prop, which <laughs> would be worth it. But that's beside Only the point. Only three hundred bucks. All those things were cheaper than I thought they'd be. Um, except the uh, the last or sorry, um, jingle all the way action figure. That one went for like way more than I thought it would. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you, Cody, uh, for giving us both a hop-off platform and for uh, and for entertaining us once more as we close another episode of Try Love uh, with your edition of Cody's Noties. Uh, check us out, our little podcast on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. Go try go to Trylon Cinema and at Trylon.org to get tickets to showings. There are a couple of cool new series coming up 
for the summer and uh and then we'll be they'll be publishing the fall if they haven't already they'll be publishing the fall schedule um and a bunch of series there some one-off stuff join the trilon club and get access to cool secret screenings some of my favorite stuff i've seen at the trilon has been part of a secret screening an episode of columbo randomly um an old uh pink celluloid 16 millimeter print of save the tiger which i still i don't know if i can defend because i only got to see it once but i would defend if somebody really came after me for it a lot of cool stuff that you get as an extra member of the Trilon Club. Check it out at Trilon.org uh, and check us out on Twitter, Trilon Podcast. Check me out, Jason Daphnis, at Nintendoofus. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at PunishedTake. That's my new Twitter account ever since the old one, Shitake Harry, was permabanned. So, um, club a transphobe for me. They don't know that. I have this podcast where I can advocate for violence against transphobic people, but I do. So, <laughs> thank you. Um, good, good night. All right, check you later. Mm-hmm.